Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the Thrive Subscribe Podcast. Today's podcast is supporting the Flip the Pharmacy Initiative, uh, and today Trista will be uh, running our discussion uh, and interviewing uh, Randy and David. Uh, so let's have a listen. My name is Trista Pfeifenberger. I'm a pharmacist on staff with CPSN USA, and today we're having a special edition of the podcast specific for our Flip the Pharmacy audience. And our topic is going to be forming advanced working relationships between community-based pharmacies and medical providers. Along those lines, I'm joined today by two panelists. We have Randy McDonough, who is owner of several pharmacies in Iowa, and David Figg, who is owner of several pharmacies in Kentucky. And both of them have demonstrated very innovative practice models and working relationships with their local providers and should have quite a bit to share with our audience today. So welcome to both of you. Thank you. We, Thank you. We're going to start by exploring ways that Randy and David's pharmacies have worked to differentiate themselves with local physicians. And specifically, we want to hear about how their pharmacies have differentiated themselves as providers of care above and beyond prescription dispensing. So we're gonna start with David. So David, if you will, can you tell us about some attempts that you or your pharmacy staff have made to build relationships with your local medical providers? Sure. Um, you know, building these relationships with providers is is kind of a mixed results. Um, we have some providers that uh, that go in very very quickly and and latch on and and they love what we're doing uh, with patients. And then some are met with some hesitancy. Um, usually, it's always started with a phone call. We're always trying to communicate what our intent is. That we're not trying to overstep and overreach into into their practice, but rather. We're just trying to enhance the the patient result, and um, you know, over the time, uh, we've most of the providers in the area have really built that relationship with us, and they're really uh, you know embraced what we're trying to do. That's great. Thanks, David. Um, how about you, Randy? Yeah, um, just I appreciate that question because I've evolved over time. You know, when I first started getting involved in, in transforming the practice, you know, 10, 20 years ago, um, trying to figure out how do we communicate with uh, prescribers and how do we involve the evolve the relationship was challenging. And you know, we would start off by, you know, trying to set up meetings with uh, physicians, and that was met with mixed results. They don't know who we are, and you know, they were not interested in meeting with us. They didn't know what we were talking about when we were talking about enhancing the patient care process and helping the patients optimize their medications because they felt like they were doing that already. So we took another approach and that is, you know, how can we just start making interventions to have them see what we're talking about, have them experience it firsthand. And initially it started off by sending them full workups of patients would be multiple pages in length. And after six months of doing that, we really were not getting any responses and if we did get a response, it, it was always not a very positive, as David had indicated. It was not always met with open arms. And then one day I had a physician call me and, and was intrigued by uh, one of the workups that we did. And he asked if he could meet with me. And so we uh, had a chance to discuss the process. And he said, you know, most physicians don't have time to be looking at multiple pages. And he goes, my recommendation is, he goes, there's good information here, is make it as succinct as possible. 
and give us very firm recommendations and, and don't make it a whole bunch of recommendations. But, you know, if you can get it down to one or two that you believe are the most important at the time, you know, that might give you a better response rate. So we started following that kind of a format. And lo and behold, you know, six months after that, we went from a 0% uh, to um, after the next six months, we went up to 50%. Then after another year, it went up to about 80% with the response rate. So the physicians were getting used to us sending out these recommendations. We were the only pharmacy doing it. And to this day, I can honestly tell you in Iowa City, here we are, big university town. And I asked my family physician that I see on a regular basis and who's in charge of the family practice residency program, how many pharmacies are sending you these kind of recommendations? And he said, right now, you're the only one. So we've it's been able uh, to differentiate ourselves um, from the other sites. Um, but the physicians now, I think, expect us to send them these clinical recommendations based upon our observations of the patient. So that's kind of how we built the relationships over time is that they've seen our, our competence through the interventions that we make. That makes a lot of sense. And I agree with you from talking with pharmacies over the years that the response that David has gotten and that you got initially, this not necessarily open-armed uh, welcoming is pretty common, right? And so part of what we're going to try to explore in this podcast today is what are some strategies that pharmacies can use to get beyond that initial um, maybe interaction where maybe it's not that open-armed welcome. Great. Let's, let's do this. Let's work on things together. So I liked your ideas there. So really getting down, making sure the recommendations that you do send them are succinct. We have heard the same thing from providers over time. What are those one to two key specific recommendations? Don't send us the entire kitchen sink at once. We couldn't even address all that in a single physician visit, right? If as a physician, I couldn't address all that in a single patient visit, even if I wanted to. So pick the one or two that's most important. Give me the details on the recommendation. Um, and you, you said that as well, right? Don't just tell me the drug, tell me the dose, tell me exactly what you're recommending and be succinct. Um, and so those are great strategies for slowly getting them familiar with what you're talking about. And I love that, that your response rate went from zero to 80% within the year. I think, you know, for our listeners on the line, the one thing I would say in terms of challenging you is to try to think about who are those two to three medical practices that have the highest prescription volume in your pharmacy. And you may or may not have tried to make contact and sit down, talk with them before face to face. But if you haven't, we suggest trying that first, just like Randy's saying, at least let them know who you are. You're trying to have a different relationship with them. Sit down, explain how your pharmacy can help them take care of their patients um, and, and you might be across the street from a pediatric practice, or maybe your pharmacy is in an office complex with some sort of multi-specialty physician clinic. So the scope of those practices and the nature of the patients they care for are bound to affect the type of services and, and the type of collaboration you might be able to have with that practice. But that doesn't have to be the focus of your first visit. The first visit can just be, how do you explain the services in your pharmacy? Really basic things that we know make a big difference in patient care. And the one I always hear about from pharmacies is adherence packaging. Well, with adherence packaging, you know, a, a picture's worth a thousand words. So if you're gonna go in there, take in a sample of your adherence packaging and show them how it works, explain how it works from the patient's perspective. How does it actually help them adhere to therapy? Talk about the blood pressure monitoring that you're now doing through Flip the Pharmacy to help them understand, wow, that the pharmacy could take my patient's blood pressure every month and send it to me and let me know how they're doing. So when they come in for their follow-up visit with me, I'll have this additional data that I wouldn't otherwise have. So I think that's key. And 
I, often, I don't know, I'm curious, David or Randy, when you talk with physicians, are they aware how often you see their patients and how close your relationships are with them from the standpoint of that really being an advantage to them working more closely with you? For us, not at all. They're, they're, they're not aware of the, the frequency that we see those patients and the relationship that we have with those patients. I think that's, the, that's even more uh, impressive on their side, that we know so much about the patient, not just uh, their medical care, but how their lifestyle impacts that as well. And uh, when we can build those two things together, that's when we see huge results. I totally agree with you, David. I, I think, you know, when we do have that interaction with uh, providers and talk to them about the frequency that we see our patients and, you know, that we have accessibility and that we're very accessible to them, I think they are impressed by that. And so we can be that those that observation for the patient outside the time they see the physicians and provide them that information in between those gaps that they aren't seeing the physician. And so the physician is very aware about what what's happening with the patient, the progress that they're having and if any changes need to be made. So that has been very beneficial as uh, building that relationship because of the um, accessibility we've had to the patients. That's great. Thank you both. I think that makes a ton of sense. And, you know, emphasizing you see the patient monthly, they might see the patient two or three times a year. How, how does that strong relationship that you have with their patients, helping the physicians understand that what a great vehicle that is as an opportunity for patient education, monitoring, like Randy said, monitoring and sharing that information back with the practice. And I think this, this last one that often comes to my mind, and I think about it more from a, a care management perspective, but it's certainly fitting with providers as well, how much those frequent touch points and that relationship helps keep a patient engaged in their care. Um, you know, we know all the time we hear about some of the most challenging patients being just lost to follow up. And that's often the main challenge for the system is this loss to follow up sort of thing. But the pharmacy is meanwhile interacting with those patients month after month. So that's great to hear that both of you have had success um, helping physicians recognize that opportunity with the pharmacy. So, Randy, you just mentioned about sharing some of that information from in between visits back to the pharmacy. From my perspective, if a, if a practice is going to work with a pharmacy differently, the one thing they're likely to be thinking about is how they're going to find those incoming communications from your pharmacy versus the barrage of faxes and messages they get from PBMs, pharmacy call centers, all these other groups that are sending them stuff about therapeutic duplication and non-preferred drug and all that sort of stuff, right? Meanwhile, you're trying to send them clinically meaningful, actionable recommendations that you need to stand out from the stack of the other papers. Um, so from that standpoint, I'd like to hear how you've approached that issue. You know, are there, are there different ways that your pharmacy uses to communicate that information to physician practices um, or how do they know to, to tease out the information from Towncrest versus the things they get from other pharmacies? Yeah, I think that's a good question, Trista. And, you know, what we have found out is if we were going to get a good response from physicians, it had to be in the format the physicians are used to seeing. So if you're going to, you know, if you're going to have a physician want to respond to you, you got to sound like, you know, like a physician. And so we really had to really look at how do we format our notes. And so we have a very um, distinct uh, process that we use um, when we send most recommendations. Um, most of our recommendations are still through the facts, and we'll talk about some of these other areas that we do have 
uh, ability to send things through an electronic health record, but it's always in the same format. So we use a SOAP note format where the subjective information of information that we're asking the patient regarding their about their therapy, the objective information is any objective data that we either we measured or we have a lab measurement from somewhere, along with what our assessment is of that patient and our plan. What's our actual recommendations? What's our one or two interventions to help that patient optimize their medications? Physicians are used to seeing that, and it's, it is different from what they see, as you talked about some of these other sources of information they're getting from, and it's in a format they're used to seeing as well, too, because that's what actually how they are doing it as well. And so they, it's been able to differentiate ourselves that we, we follow that format, and we get a good response rate. You know, I told you after one year, many, many years ago, it went up to 80%. Well, right now, we've studied this multiple times. We get about 90 to 95% response rate real time. When I say real time, usually within 24 hours, you know, we'll get the response back, and it's usually sooner than that um, regarding the intervention that we made. Then with some offices, um, we were able to actually work uh, through their uh, – it could be through the electronic health record, but that's still challenging, right, as far as we're on the outside. We're not part of a health system. We're not part of an ACO, so we're on the outside trying to figure out how to fit in. So we've been able to use some um, portal systems, you know, that are uh, protected um, portal systems, secure portal systems, and we worked with the University of Iowa th working with embedded pharmacists within clinics, and so we've been able to share progress notes with the pharmacist embedded in internal medicine or cardiovascular clinics, and then they send us the progress notes back so we're able to communicate back and forth, and I tell you, we really have identified a lot of medication-related problems because they have information we don't have and we have information they don't have. When we combine those informations, we did a much better job of, of managing that patient. Then we've got, with hospice, we've got a very close relationship. So we have access directly to the Care Anywhere electronic health record. And so we'll put a note directly into that. And they do look for the pharmacist note. Then also through our long-term care um, matrix we uh, is the name of the uh, electronic health record. That, again, where other providers will be looking for our note because we'll put the recommendations in there and for them to be able to review and, and make an assessment about those uh, recommendations as well. But every one of those notes, Trista, are still formatted in that SOAP note format because we want to make sure we're consistent and that the physicians know when it comes, you know, when they see this, there's usually a plan. There's usually an action item they have to respond to. And by doing that, it's really improved the response rate over time, and it's been very consistent over the last uh, 10 years that we've been doing this at um, Iowa City um, with the Towncrest Pharmacy. There was a lot of great information that you just shared there, Randy. I'm going to unpack a few pieces of it. Um, the first, I think we, as, so as part of my work history, worked with a statewide um, primary care and care management network, the pharmacist component of that in North Carolina, and we did a lot of work around provider response to recommendations. And I will second uh, what you said, both in response to the first question and this one, which is that providers want to see things that are succinct. They want a specific recommendation. They don't want to have to go to their drug information resource and have to look up what the dose should be for renal adjustment or whatever. Tell me what it should be, right? And then just like you said, what is the rationale? So you send it in a soap note format, but I've heard you know, lots of providers say, at a minimum, I need to understand what is the justification for why you're making this recommendation so that I can understand. That's going to help me be more receptive to your recommendation, right? Um, and so absolutely that's consistent with, with things we have heard. 
it's interesting. You also note that that soap note format is the what the physicians are used to working with themselves and certainly used to seeing in their own records. You're right about that. It's an, it's an interesting point. And, and I really heard you saying that you are, to some degree, not only based on your lines of business, sort of long-term care, hospice, and then your, your ambulatory patients, you're really modifying how those communications are sent to the physician based on either the nature of the working relationship where you do have EHR access or you don't. Maybe sometimes when there's that key person available in the clinic, it's interesting you mentioned the embedded pharmacist, that you can use them as a key liaison in the practice. I think that's an excellent idea. But you're really modifying that method of communication, it sounds like, based on the nature of the practice, what you have access to, and how did you arrive on those different methods of communication with the various practices? I think that would be telling for our audience. Yeah, it really, uh, that's a good question. Well, it's as you start evolving that relationship in, you know, just a long time ago, a colleague, uh, Bill Doucette, and I wrote a paper about developing collaborative working relationships. And uh, of all the things I've ever written, that probably was the most difficult um, paper I've ever written because it was really synthesizing information from the world of the of business and also world of nursing to talk about, you know, what are the different components of developing collaboration? And so we put this thing together based upon the experience that I had, um, you know, over the years doing this. And one of the things you do find out is that not not every physician, not every site, not every practice is the same. And so what may work with one practice may not work with another. And so by identifying what was the processes they used, how they wanted to see the information, how they wanted the information presented, that's how we were able to come to these conclusions as far as with the embedded clinic, we couldn't get access to the electronic health record because the lawyers, the legal was concerned about you know us being outside the system. So we weren't a contracted entity, but they said we could work with the secure portal system. And then we evolved that by talking about, you know, we can send more than just updated medic, you know, they thought medication list is all they're going to need from us. And we said, well, you know, we actually do workups of patients. Why don't you see the workups that we do? And they started became impressed with that. So they actually requested that over time then as well. And so they they get our, our soap note request or soap note format workup of the patient with the clinical recommendations, much like we would see somewhere else. With hospice, um, we had a long-term relationship with them and, and same type of thing. They said, you know, our Care Anywhere is our main record. That's where we'll look for the pharmacist note. And then with the nursing home, which is interesting with long-term care, uh, initially, they weren't allowing pharmacists to document within that record. They just wanted me to send them, you know, the recommendations via paper. And I made it very clear to them that I am a provider just as much as anybody else within this nursing home. And so we should have one record and one place where recommendations are going. And that should be this record. And so after about six months working with them, um, I finally got them to, um, you know, agree that this is the best thing. And they've been very happy with that since that time. So it's not always saying, you know, what they believe is the best. It's what I felt like would be a better system over time. And that worked out well um, with them as well. And then with some other sites, we're still evolving. We're working with Mercy Hospital to talk about how we can utilize, you know, their system and, and be more succinct with how we send information to the providers. Um, but with a lot of the um, individual offices, they still want the faxes because that's what the physicians in the office feel most comfortable with. Very little um, calls, but just so you know, there's not too many docs that say, oh, just call us because, you know, that that could be kind of challenging as well, too, with the number of phone calls that they get. Uh, so it's really based upon what the office is, is asking, um, what is the best process and how they are normally doing it 
um, and that's how we adjust uh, based upon the practice. That's great, Randy. And I think one thing the audience can take away from that is just the way Randy described that just now. It's obvious that he has had not only a single communication with all these different practices and providers in these different settings, but clearly an ongoing conversation over time where you're talking about not only your working relationship, but how you communicate with each other and when and, and where and all those sorts of things, that that is a natural part of that relationship with a practice as it evolves. And so I think as pharmacies go out and initiate these conversations with practices, if they haven't had them before, to me, a key learning here is uh, make sure you're talking about how do we best communicate with each other. If I'm going to try to send you meaningful and actionable, actionable information, how can I best send it to you so that you can receive it in your workflow. Um, I think it's really important, just like if in your pharmacy, clearly you have a workflow, right? That if something happens or comes in from the outside and disrupts that workflow, it makes it difficult. Well, practices are the same way. You have the best chance of getting response from their recommendation, obviously, if you are in their workflow. And you know, over time, as I've talked to different pharmacies that have had these types of um, conversations with practices, some really interesting things can happen. So, Randy, you gave some great examples of how it evolves over time. We've also heard stories all over the board where pharmacies have gotten things like EHR access, which, Randy, you described. We had one pharmacy tell us, you know what, the practice said, why don't you come over every Thursday? Now, these pract the practices in the pharmacy were very close to one another geographically. They said, why don't you come over every Thursday morning at 730 before the practice opens at eight and let's go over our mutual patients. And you can, unless there's an urgent recommendation, you can save it until Thursday and we'll sit down and we'll go through all of them together. Now, obviously that's a little bit different thing in terms of a time commitment, but how great that a provider was inviting a pharmacy to come and sit face to face and really be collaborative in that way every week. Um, there's other practices that have said, you know what, I'm sure if you try to call, you get stuck in our phone tree. We want to give you direct access to our nurse that manages this sort of stuff for all the physicians in the practice. Here's the direct line, you know, to get a hold of Susie, our nurse, or whatever it is. Those sorts of, you know, opportunities are are really big. And just like you said, Randy, sometimes it is going to be, well, no, keep on faxing it because that's what works best. But you never know what kind of response you might get when you ask. So to me, that's the reason why it's important to ask the question. And David, yeah, I know... Go ahead. I was just going to add to that too, Trista, you know, because you talked about the um, going into the physician's office. That actually, that does happen too. We had that happen with a physician who saw value in what we were doing. And he said, you know, I like to make the decision at the, at the time that I'm rounding with patients. So we actually set up a time that um, every Thursday morning from eight to noon, I rounded with the physician in the nursing home. And then he asked for my opinion at that point for us to make the recommendation. So that was a wonderful way to evolve the relationship and we're able to impact the patient real time then. That's a great example. So clearly, if you have that kind of opportunity as a pharmacy, great one. Uh, if you can take advantage of it, certainly, you know, great one to do so. So, David, in your particular practice, I know that some of your pharmacies have been uh, and pharmacists have been working with some really complex um, Medicaid patients over the past year that there's really been a lot of work that they've done not only to engage the patient, but also a lot of recommendations that needed to be sent and addressed by the providers in order to, to you know, to move some of these patients ahead. And, and your pharmacies had tremendous success with this. Um, do you want to speak to any aspect of that? Like what helped make that successful from your opinion? 
um, what, you know, what aspect of the relationship? Sure. So uh, happy to speak to that. Um, you know, our process is not nearly as sophisticated as what Randy's describing. Uh, we're, we're much more um, just bare bones uh, in how we, you know, build that communication and how we've we've built those relationships with the physicians. Um, the one thing that, Randy, I agree with what you're saying, and that that's the succinctness of it. Um, you know, we've got one pharmacist a clinical pharmacist. He's incredible. He, uh, you know, he works with the patients. He, he, uh, he can build these incredible dialogues and narratives of what's going on. Uh, but he's very verbose. And, uh, early on, you know, we would send these faxes over with recommendations and descriptions of what's going on. And it didn't take long, uh, before we quickly were told, you know, speak in bullets, and uh, so try to figure out how to build this down, boil it down to, to just a few points, and uh, let's, put it, let's put it in bullet point format. And so currently that's how he's doing that. Uh, he works uh, with lots of different providers uh, on these patients, and typically it's done via fax. He'll send over a fax with, uh, you know, some description and uh, a few bullet points, and Often that's just signed off on nowadays. They just agree and move forward. Uh, you know, early on, that was usually followed up with a phone call. So you send over a fax and, and physician would call uh, for some clarification or to discuss a little more about what's going on. Uh, just try to get their arms around what we're trying to do. But these days, uh, the relationship is strong enough there between the provider and us that, uh, that you know, it's really just information uh, for them at this point. That's great. That's a great example, uh, David. And I also know, kind of to round out our discussion today, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about the HL7 electronic pharmacist care plan. And in case our audience is not familiar with the pharmacist care plan, it's a national data standard that allows pharmacists and pharmacies to share data from their clinical records. So these are things like medication-related problems, interventions, maybe even lab data, blood pressures, et cetera, to share that type of data electronically with other members of the care team. And the pharmacies can use different systems. Um, they can use one or two or five different systems to produce these types of care plans. But the important part is that the data standard coming out the back end of the system is the same. So it allows for interoperability and data exchange, which is obviously ever evolving in our healthcare system. But David, I wanted to ask you specifically, there is this aspect of the pharmacist care plan that is the care coordination note. And again, to give our audience some perspective in case they're not familiar with the, the care coordination note, just give you an example of something you might see or read in a care coordination note. It might say something like, recommendation to increase atorvastatin to 20 milligram daily was sent to Dr. Smith on you know, January 10th, awaiting response. And then a few days later, they might update that care coordination note to say, the recommendation was accepted by Dr. Smith and a new prescription received. It was filled and picked up by the patient on, you know, January 14th, whatever it is. But the key is it summarizes interaction with another member of the healthcare team. And it also allows a third person to come in and see what's gone on and understand how their piece fits in the picture. So as an example, if I was a care manager, if I was reading that last one and I could see that not only was that dose increase 
recommendation sent, but it was accepted. And I know the patient now has the new prescription in their hands. If I'm the care manager and I was going to call the patient this week anyway, I would want to make sure I touch base with them about that. Hey, you know, the, for the patient, how's that uh, new increase in your, you know, atorvastatin going? You feeling okay? Um, you know, et cetera, whatever it might be, make reinforce any education that might need to be done. So those those notes are really structured to kind of help. I know that your pharmacy has spent a great deal of the last year focusing on, uh, again, with some of these patients, coordinating care with care managers and others. So can you speak to how the care plan and the care coordination notes have really fostered that and, and, and allowed those relationships to flourish? Sure. So we've got one program going today uh, with a payer where the uh, the care management team is actually looking at our care coordination notes at our care plans. Um, you know, there's cases where I'll give one example where um, we had a patient that came in, diabetes was uh, somewhat uncontrolled, trying to figure out what was going on. And we uh, we realized that when they came in to meet that they're wearing an eye patch. They couldn't uh, they couldn't see the vial uh, or they couldn't see it properly to be able to draw it up from the vial. So we kind of noted that in the care coordination notes uh, that you know maybe a pen would be uh, preferable because of this vision issue. And obviously, you know, with care management seeing this as well, um, it was quickly approved for the pen to be on the to be uh, PA'd for this patient. And so instantly, you know, you had this communication where we noticed something going on. We sent over to the physician that, uh, you know, we would like to, to switch to, to the pen version of the insulin. And, um, and care management was, was reviewing this and seeing this all along as well. So you had all three parties involved in this process and the, the care plan and the care coordination notes is kind of that conduit for, for all, all parties to be involved and see what's going on. Those are some great examples. And I think the other piece about the care coordination note, or even just this, this clinical data and the status of recommendations that can be helpful, but is often not thought of, and, and Randy, I'll ask you to respond to this part, is how that information can be helpful in your own pharmacy. So if you have a pharmacist there today and maybe someone else different tomorrow, and we're trying to figure out what's the status of the, the recommendation that we sent over to Dr. Smith, you know, the, the patient's calling or whatever it might be. Can you speak to how having all of that in a clinical record in your pharmacy just helps your own pharmacy staff be able to coordinate efficiently with one another? It's extremely helpful. We, uh, you know, we utilize that extensively because we want to make sure one, that if we made some clinical recommendations that we knew, we know that something happened, right? And so having that care coordination note um, in an uploaded, it could even be an uploaded document of the clinical recommendation that we had faxed and they faxed back saying they accept the recommendations. So we actually have the record in there as well, but it's a great way for um, us to have this internal document for the pharmacist or anybody coming in saying what happened with this doc of this recommendation. One, you don't want to be repeating recommendations <laughs> if you've got it already taken care of, right? So it's just quick for people to be able to see that. But if you don't see that something's changed, the patient's still having issues, then you know you've got to do some follow-up with the provider to make sure that something is happening. Either they don't want to make a change for whatever reason, but we need to figure out what's going on. So it's a better way for us to manage the patient and just ensure that they're optimizing their medication. So that that part of our note system is very, very important. 
Absolutely. And I think a lot of pharmacies come to that same conclusion once they start utilizing that clinical documentation consistently and realize how it can, can have that benefit as compared to, you know, sticky notes or other things you might be trying to track around the pharmacy or just someone having that information in, in their head that they called and they're awaiting response uh, from a certain position. So that's great. Thank you both for your insightful comments today. Hopefully it gave our audience an opportunity to hear a little bit more about how they can build and foster relationships with providers, whether they are brand new to that activity or they're trying to figure out how to take those relationships to the next level. Hopefully you both have shared some ideas from your own innovative practices. And so really thank you both for being on with us today. Thank you. I've learned a lot. Thank you. The Thrive Subscribe Podcast is brought to you by Thrive Pharmacy Transformations. Visit us online at tptransformations.com where you can join our free community to inspire you, challenge you, and transform your pharmacy practice.